Well, good morning, and it's great, of course, to be together here with uh, part of the church family here and, and uh, other parts of our church family uh, through the uh, broadcast. Wherever you are, I'd invite you to find a Bible or get a Bible app up on your phone or something to uh, follow along with us in our study of Colossians. We will be in Colossians chapter 4 in our continuing study, looking mostly at verses 3 through 6 in Colossians 4, though as an introduction, I'd like us to look at a verse in chapter 3 as well. You may have seen the uh, meme, little saying on social media this week. Uh, in a way, it's funny, but it, it's in a sad way. The meme was, congratulations to the astronauts who left Earth today. Good choice. Do you ever feel in these recent months, it had been nice just to like escape, fall asleep and wake up after it's all over. And I don't need to tell you that uh, our world and our country is facing many difficult issues simultaneously. And so it could be that you have felt helpless on many levels to do anything to address, let alone fix, what is broken in society. But today as we come to this passage, I, I, am, I can take heart, and I want you to take heart and realize that we have the ultimate answer to our society because we know Jesus Christ. We know Jesus Christ, who, as we've studied in the book of Colossians, like our banner says, he is supreme over all things. And so I don't say it lightly that Christ is the answer. And so I'd like us to look at chapter 3, verse 11 for a moment, where we see how knowing Christ transformed and united the church in the otherwise very divided culture right there in ancient Colossae, where this book was originally written 2,000 years ago. Chapter 3, verse 11. Here, meaning in the body of Christ, the church, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. Do you see all the potential division there was in that culture? And do you see what unified them was Christ? And the same for us. They had, they had racial divide, Jew and non-Jew. Everybody knew, though it wasn't a skin color issue, everybody knew who was who. The Greeks, the non-Jews, uh, celebrated uh, Greek culture and language, while the Jews wanted to maintain their Jewish traditions and, 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 and keep up their Hebrew language. Along the same lines, there was a somewhat of a spiritual division 
among the body of Christ, believers, because some had Jewish backgrounds and some had Greek backgrounds. And so there was this temptation for believers who were Jewish to feel a bit superior spiritually because they had all this religious heritage and and still kept a lot of the Old Testament traditions. And there were then in the church as well some whose ancestors were barbarians and even, it says, Scythians. Now, that's not an either-or thing. There were barbarians, and then the worst of the barbarians were the Scythians because they were known historically to have been the most cruel of the barbarians. And yet now their descendants were in the church. And then finally, there was the drastically distinct economic classes that we studied a couple weeks ago, slaves and free. I mean, you were either an owner or you were owned for the most part. What unified them? Christ is all and in all, because all need Christ. And so they gathered together because they believed, they knew, they followed, they exalted Jesus Christ. So understanding that context, which, wow, so many parallels to what we're facing now in America, what is our task, Paul? The same as 2,000 years ago. Now turn to chapter 4 where we look at verses 3 through 6. And pray for us too. Paul is referring to himself and others who helped him in the little apostolic leadership group. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains Pray that I may proclaim it, that is the mystery of Christ, clearly as I should. So be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I just trust that even before we discuss another sentence of this, that the Holy Spirit would use these words from God to us to begin adjusting and addressing our own hearts. The context, we looked last week at verse 2, is that we should be people of prayer. As believers in Christ, we know God personally through Jesus Christ. So if anyone should pray, it should be us. Be devoted to prayer, being watchful, very aware, and thankful. Is that characterizing us this past week, the week before, the week before, the week before? Be devoted to prayer. Specifically, how should we pray, Paul? And pray for us that God may open a door for our message the person of Christ, the gospel message, that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ and that we can proclaim it clearly. So he said, pray that God would strategically give me, Paul, opportunities. Now, what's Paul's situation right now? As he writes this, as you know, this is one of what we call the prison epistles, four letters he wrote while in prison unjustly for two and a half years. Paul was hated by his fellow Jews because they accused him falsely of hating the Jews because he preached Christ. And so when he was down in Jerusalem, 
He was arrested and tried for supposedly teaching something that was false. A riot broke out, and the soldiers had to actually protect him from the rioters. And Paul, being a Roman citizen, appealed his case to Caesar himself because Paul wanted to share the gospel with the Roman emperor himself. And eventually they got him safe passage all the way to Rome, the book of Acts tells us. And there he waited, imprisoned, for two plus years and actually never got to even appear before Caesar and eventually he was released. What a waste he could have thought. How unjust is this? I am sitting here in prison. But did Paul take a, a, a view of This is what's wrong with my life and my world. What he did was he said, how can I use this for the gospel? So take a look with me at uh, Philippians. This is what he wrote in another letter from prison at the same time. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Do you see how Paul's thoughts completely transcended the issue of his own trouble? Now, many of you have heard this passage before, and and we nod our heads and cheer that, that, uh, that Paul would have such a heart for the gospel. But the question is, do we have God's heart like Paul? As we go through these troubled times, do we have Paul's heart? We're troubled by the virus. We're troubled by the effects of the virus. We are troubled, understandably, by racial injustice. We are troubled by the riots that followed. So the question, though, as we hear Paul's heart is, have we focused on our opinions or have we focused on our opportunities? So we can look at Paul and say, good for you, Paul. But the question is, as we think of our perspective of the trouble, are we focused on our opinions or are we focused on our opportunities? Have you prayed that God would use this troubled time to create opportunities for you to share the gospel? Because someday, everyone that we know, everyone we agree with, And everyone we disagree with will leave this earth a lot further than the astronauts. Everyone is somewhere forever. Everyone you know will be forever in heaven or in hell. Does eternity redirect our priorities so that what is important, what is most important, is our opportunities. Does eternity compel us? Paul says, please start praying for me. He says that God may open a door for our message. I got trouble. 
But may God open a door for, it's kind of fun to see our church name in the Bible, right? Open door. I, um, I wasn't here when the church began, so I didn't help pick the name, but I really like it. And there's always been a little bit of a confusion. Was the name picked because the door is open to the inside so that anyone can come in? I like that idea. Or was the name chosen because the door is open to the outside, like this verse, that we would go out and share the gospel? I like that too. Can we say it's both? Because both of them have to do with the central task, and that's where Paul is laser-focused on the task that we are to make disciples. So the door is open. Please come in so that you can learn what it means to be a, a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you are a part of this church, then the door is open out so that you can go and make disciples, which is the central thing that Christ commissioned us to do. Paul says, please pray about that that there would be an open door for the message. You see, I, I doubt that these troublesome days were allowed by God to give us opportunity to, opportunities to spread our political views. I doubt that God, in his sovereignty, allowed these troublesome days so that we could win arguments about the latest viral Facebook post. I really think that he has allowed this troublesome time strategically so his people would be focused on that which is most important and would leverage the emotions and the needs that would be exposed by all of this so that we would be focused on that which is indeed most important because now more than ever there are people who are fearful now more than ever there are people who are hurting hurting about past injustice. There are people who are confused. There are people who are angry on all sides of all issues. So are we focused more on our opinions or opportunities? If we can recalibrate our priorities, we would pray like Paul. Pray how? Pray, for example, for kings and all who are in authority. That's a biblical prayer request that Paul wrote. Because we have a lot of leaders who have to make decisions. We can go toss out our opinions, but they actually have to make decisions. So pray for them. And pray for Christian doctors and nurses. We have a, a, a lot of those in the nursing profession who have been working during this season that they would have not just safety. That's crucial. We, that's this right there. But they would also have influence for Christ with colleagues and patients. Pray for godly leaders in the African-American community as they lead their congregations and that the gospel would shine. Pray for yourself that everything that you would do would come through this filter of attracting people to the gospel and never alienating anyone from the gospel. When God allows our peace and security as a nation to be shaken, I'm pretty sure he wants to give us an opportunity to proclaim the one who will be anointed king visibly someday and who is already supreme overall. Proclaim the mystery of Christ. Mystery in the New Testament refers to uh, new truth 
now revealed. Of course, as we're reading the New Testament, you realize they didn't have the New Testament, so they couldn't have all the verses about Jesus that we have, right? So Paul was proclaiming it. It was new to most people. Do you realize that we are in such a post-Christian era that the gospel is essentially new to most people around us as well? Really understanding the clarity of it is, is new. So there are, there are serious, serious issues in our society, and there are no easy answers. But we are the ones uniquely, strategically, who have the ultimate answer. Because every rioter needs Jesus Christ. Every officer needs Jesus Christ. Every person of every skin color needs to know what it means to put your faith in Christ. Every person who has been sick or is in grief with loss needs to know Jesus Christ. Every person who has skated through this economically and everyone who has been in devastated financially needs Jesus Christ. If there is any pandemic that is universal, it is the pandemic of fear. That's frankly what I'm, what I'm feeling most in our society. We have fears of a deadly disease. We have fears that the wrong people will be elected. We have fears of being profiled. We have fear of being targeted because we wear a uniform. There's fear everywhere. What, what addresses fear? It's knowing Jesus Christ. It's having the security of eternity and the, the assurance of the ever-presence of Jesus Christ in our life. We need Christ. The world needs Christ. So where do we start? Paul says, please start with me. He says that I would be able to have an open door for the message to proclaim Christ and do it clearly. So how do you pray? Uh, we have missionaries at Open Door, and, and uh, as many of you know, Rat and Stacy are, are back uh, home after preparing in these last years and learning language there uh, across the world in another culture. Pray for Rat and Stacy as they will go when they go back to be able to make the gospel clear. That's what they're there for, right? Is their task different than ours? Not really. Pray for me and Open Door. I feel like uh, as a church, we have been given fresh opportunity during this season. The opportunity of our, of our broadcast and so forth, and, and even the opportunity in, in a few moments here, I want to share what exactly is this good news, the gospel message. I want, I want to try to help make it clear. Pray for that. Pray for you. Because you have influence with your coworkers, your friends, your Facebook friends, your neighborhood friends, that you would have eternal and earthly impact. Because as our eternity is secured, it transforms us from within about how we address and see all these issues. So pray for me, he says. And then specifically, verse 4, pray that I would proclaim it clearly as I should. It is the message of Christ, right? I want to proclaim the message of Christ clearly. Pray about that. The word clearly, the root of the Greek word actually is the, the same word for an ancient torch or lantern. In other words, an ancient flashlight. When they showed up in the garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, they were carrying, it's this word, torches. So what does it mean to make 
the gospel of Christ clear. It means to make it visible. Because there's a lot of vagaries about the gospel. Yeah, 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 you guys believe in Jesus. He died on the cross. It's still not clear, though, is it? What does that mean to you? What, what, what do you have to do? And so that's the issue that I'd like us to think about now for a few moments. I know that many of you, uh, part of the church for years, you care deeply about the gospel. I know that you are thrilled when you hear that someone has understood, believed, embraced, put their faith in Christ. I know that you want to make it clear. Let's just make sure that we know how to make it clear, each of us individually. So partly this is, you could say, educational. If you have, have already put your faith in Christ, this is more of how you might be able to share it. But if you perhaps have not understood it clearly, then this for you uh, is something maybe that God is doing spiritually in your life right now. The clarity requires us to know the clarifying issue. And to me, the best way to clarify it is with this question. What are you trusting in for eternal life? What are you trusting in for eternal life? Jesus and what he did, or you and what you do? What are you trusting in for eternal life? So let's think this through. Uh, as, as some of you know, I like to share it as bad news and good news. So let's understand the bad news about us so that we can understand the good news about Jesus Christ. And by the way, what I'm going to present here in these next moments is on our main page of our, of our website. There's a block there. I think it's over to the right. Uh, it says uh, good news, bad news. Uh, you can look at it there. You can... Uh, one time I shared it over the phone with somebody as they, they were, went to the website the same time I did. We could just kind of talk through it that way. Bad news. One and two. Good news. One and two. Number one, Romans 3.23 is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God's glory is his perfect standard. And so God requires perfection to get to heaven because he is perfect. Heaven is perfect. No sin in heaven immediately we understand we're in trouble. Because instead of what religion of every brand seems to teach, that we can be good enough for heaven, this changes everything. No one is good enough for heaven. It changes everything. And it gets worse because the second part of the bad news is Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. That is, wages are what you earn. So if we got what we deserved, and this is all mankind, we would all deserve eternal death and judgment. Wow. If you go to the doctor, you want to know what is wrong so that they, in their medical knowledge, can help fix it. Spiritually, we have to know what's wrong or else there is no good news. There is no solution. The bad news is we're all sinners and we all deserve eternal judgment. That is the state of mankind. And we don't have to look very far to see that all are sinners. And so we can point at the worst sinners, you know, that they show up in the news in a picture. Or we can look inside our own heart and say, I got some of that myself. And this has been a soul-searching time, hasn't it? To kind of just look at our own hearts and say, what about me? So, all have sinned. The playing field is leveled. God is perfectly just because he's good. Good judges punish criminals. And a good God must punish sin. 
So God is just, and if that was all there was, we'd kind of go, well, we all got it coming. But here's the good news. God is not only perfectly just, he is also perfectly loving. And that's the good news. And so God in his love said that while you deserve judgment, he said, I'm going to send my own eternal son, Jesus, to take your punishment for you. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us. Just take that in. He demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. In other words, before we had ever tried to qualify, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the crucial phrase. That's the cross. To die for us means he died in our place. God must punish sin. And he says, I'll send my son to the cross. And on the cross, all of our sin was placed. And God the Father poured out his righteous wrath on sin, our sin on Jesus instead of us. So the final piece of the good news is that you and I have to respond to what Christ did for us. And that's what John 3.16 is describing, if you've heard this verse before. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, meaning every person. Think every person, every culture, every skin color, every everyone, the best, the worst, you can imagine. Everyone. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that's Jesus, taking our place. And that leaves us with one very crucial decision, that whoever believes in him, in Christ, will not perish, that's hell, but have eternal life, that's heaven. Based on what? Based on whether you believe in him. Now, many people would say, ah, I believe that. Let's understand the crucial question. Let's clarify the good news. Paul said in verse 4, pray that I'd proclaim it clearly. Here it is. The issue of believing is what are you trusting in? It's not believing that. It's believing in. So what are you trusting in for eternal life? I've talked to people through the years who uh, tell them about Jesus. They go, yeah, yeah, I know. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And then I ask him this question, what are you trusting in for eternal life? Well, I think you need to be a good person, and I've been baptized, and I'm trying to do... Wait a minute. You said you believe that Jesus died for us. Yeah, I believe that. So what are you trusting in to get to heaven? Well, you've got to be a good... Oh. The issue is, am I trusting in Christ, or am I trusting in me? So Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, it is by grace. Grace means no strings, no conditions, no merit, nothing that we can deserve. Free. By grace, it is, you have been saved through faith. That's actually the same Greek word as the word believe. So, so by grace, you've been saved through faith, meaning faith in Christ, who died for your sins. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, what we do, so that no one can boast. No one's bragging in heaven. I, I deserve to be here. And so it gives us these three options. Many of you here have seen the three circles that someone once shared with me, C, W, and C plus W. C represents Christ. What are you trusting in? Which circle? This is like the, you know, the three doors thing. Christ. Are you trusting in Christ that he paid for your sins? Is that what you're basing eternal life on? Or are you trusting in works, good works, good things you've done? Or do you say, well, I'll just cover all the bases, Christ plus works. What does God's word say that we just see in the verse just above? 
It's not by works. So it's not works and it's not Christ plus works because we are the deal breaker with that one. Are you trusting in Christ alone? If that has become clear for you just now, the issue is, will you put your trust in Christ? Transfer from whatever you have been believing in, yourself perhaps, to put your faith in Christ. You, you can do that just now. I'm going to suggest words for a prayer where you would tell God something like this, just in the silence of, of the room here or wherever you are watching, to say something like this, I believe that you paid for my sins. I believe that my goodness does not qualify me for heaven. I am now putting my faith, my trust in Christ alone. That's it. If that comes from your heart, you have just become a believer in Christ. And according to John 3.16, now you no longer will perish, but you have eternal life. And God works through his word to bring us that message. Now, others of you, you've done that already, and I'm so grateful. If you haven't, and this is the first time, please let someone here at the church know. You can email us, call us, make an appointment. Uh, if you have put your faith in Christ, I trust that it has helped you to rethink what is most important. So, how can I pray? That's what he says. Pray that God would open a door for us to proclaim this mystery of Christ. Pray that I could make it clearly. Have you been praying that? A biblical Christian will focus on praying that. Let me suggest three prayer requests pertinent to these days. Strategic prayers. I'm acquainted with two churches and two pastors, kind of, I don't know them so well personally, but two churches in, in Milwaukee among the African-American community that really need our prayer right now. Uh, one is New Testament Church. Uh, New Testament Church is uh, actually a church that uh, has been a host site for the No Regrets Conference. A bunch of us men, different, some years, we went there for a number of years and enjoyed uh, that fellowship. Pastor Julius Malone is a senior pastor. Pray that, that he and his church leaders would have wisdom in these difficult times in his community and that the gospel would be clear because I know he, he loves the word of God and he loves the gospel. Another would be Lighthouse Gospel Chapel. Lighthouse Gospel Chapel, Pastor James Carrington. Uh, and uh, he, he actually, we went to seminary at the same time that we didn't know each other and we met a couple of times since, but, but I know he loves the word of God and he, and he preaches the gospel clearly. Would you pray for New Testament Church, Lighthouse Gospel Chapel? I'll add one more. This week I received a prayer request from our, our nephew Austin who directs the Navigators Campus Ministry at the University of Arkansas. And he was asking for prayer. And now they're kind of doing mostly virtual ministry. But uh, as he interacts with African-American students, as well as white students, the African-American students, many of them, some who have embraced and trusted in Christ, some who have not, and struggling with some of their past experiences of what they've gone through with racial injustice. Uh, the, the, some of the white students are struggling with how to think and how to help. And, and as he... I, the, the neat thing is that... Uh, Julius, James, and Austin, all are 
focused on this is what's important in this season of time, sharing the gospel of Christ. To have a clear message, we must have good relationships. And verses 5 and 6 take us there. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is still in the context of you pray for opportunities, but then you have to act a certain way and talk a certain way to have the relationships, the credibility to communicate this most important message. Be careful, be wise how you act towards outsiders. Yes, there are exclusive groups spiritually. There are believers in Christ and those who have not believed in Christ. You're part of the body of Christ, the family of God by faith in Christ alone. And so it is crucial that the way we act gives us opportunities, it says. So walk in wisdom. That's the, the literal Greek phrase is walk. So it's like Everything you do in the day, in your neighborhood, how you raise your kids, how much you raise your voice, your marriage, maybe whether you mow your lawn, can all be part of a, of a reputation, and your reputation is the gospel's reputation. Work. Are you dependable, diligent? Do people like working with you? Walk in wisdom. Then it says, redeeming the time, literally. Some of you have that in your translation. This mind says, making the most of every opportunity. The word redeem, literally, is a, it's like a money word. Make sure that your testimony pays off. Make the most of this season. I'm not a fisherman by hobby, but occasionally I've gone with someone who, who has that as a hobby or a passion. And um, Those who know what they're doing know that there are certain times that are better for fishing. A guy named James has taken me for fishing, and for some reason he wants to fish at 5 a.m. I have no idea. It doesn't seem like a very convenient time to, to fish. But see, it doesn't depend on how convenient it is for us. It depends on whether that's a good time that the fish might be biting. Could this season, this unique season, everybody's been talking how weird this is. Could this be a unique season in America because maybe there's more fear pandemic than we've ever had before over all these issues on all sides of every issue. And so is this the opportune time that God is calling us to? So then be very careful what you are doing. That what you are doing creates opportunities and not shutting off opportunities with the half of the people who disagree with you. Doing, obviously, is expressed by saying, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Hmm. Our words, the, word, the Greek word is logos, which means something expressed, from something inside that's expressed outside through a word conversation. 
our words express our heart. Jesus pointed this out. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That's true. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Worthless words. How are our words recently? It would seem that as believers and followers of Christ, we would wake up every morning and say, Oh God, please help me to have words today that will glorify you. That's just part of normal life because otherwise, what's going to come up when, out of our mouth when we have that, you know, that annoying thing that happens with your spouse, you know, it's going to be something that's going to be uh, sinful or selfish or snarky. And if your coworker, you know, kind of baits you with a negative comment about so-and-so and you also kind of feel that way and it's going to, you're going to just fall right into the trap if you're not spiritually prepared with grace-filled words. And the same thing is going to happen with all of the issues that are so uh, prevalent today. And what's going to come out, the words are going to come, our sin nature is going to impact what's going to, our reactions, our words about all this stuff. Paul's concern is that our words would not put a wall between us and others, but our words would be so grace-filled it opened doors for the gospel. Grace-filled words. Words full of grace. Grace-filled words do not condemn or attack, they encourage. Grace-filled words do not gossip, they affirm. Grace-filled words do not rant, they have restraint. Grace-filled conversation knows when to be quiet. Proverbs 17, 28 says, Even a fool is considered wise when he is silent. You ever realize how wise and grace-filled silence could be? Are we known for grace-filled conversations? Remember, opportunities, not opinions. Seasoned with salt. It's an interesting analogy. Not sure if it means salt as in it makes it taste better, so our life is more attractive. It could mean that. Or it could mean the penetrating power of salt, which is how Jesus used it when he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are to make an impact. And both ways, it's still about sharing Christ and having an impact for the gospel. and So the goal is not just to be a nice person, but to be a nice person who represents the all-important issue of the person of Christ. So that you may know how to answer everyone. So that people would want to know what's different about you in all of this stuff. Your, your attitude, your, your actions, your words have, have said something different that they don't see other places. So that you have an opportunity, as Peter wrote, he said, be ready. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. There should be an attractiveness and an interest. But do this with gentleness and respect. What a grace-filled statement. So in Colossians, we have learned that Christ is supreme. He is showing himself supreme in these days. When we're surrounded by disease and death and quarantine, job loss and racial injustice 
and violence and conflicting opinions about it all. He is showing himself supreme when we point to him as the solution of our hearts. And it's when God transforms our hearts that our lives, our attitudes, and suddenly we begin to see how God would have us help in any of these issues because he has transformed us within through the eternity-changing, life-changing message of the gospel. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray you'd work within us. I pray for anyone here who is listening right now that has never placed their faith in you as their personal savior from sin. Help them to understand with clarity that they can do nothing to to, uh, fix their situation with you, but to fully put their trust in you that on the cross you bore their penalty. We pray for each of us that we might uh, see ourselves as uh, your crew to accomplish the task all important of making disciples until you return. I want to pray for uh, James Carrington and Lighthouse Gospel Chapel. Help them in, in, in their community with, with the believers in their church and the impact in their neighborhoods to have clarity that points to you as their solution. Pray for Julius Malone and New Testament Church. Please guide them in their efforts to be a lighthouse in in every way, socially, spiritually, physically. Give them wisdom and may the gospel become clear to many. Pray for Austin as he serves on the campus, uh, mostly virtually for now, of Arkansas. And uh, give him wisdom with each of his students. I pray for each of us that we might have an impact where you placed us and that we would be light and communicate the all-important message of the cross to a desperately needy world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.